0: Welcome to Dr. Doo Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy Bement, your host, welcoming you to episode 136 of Dr. Who Panel to Panel. Thank you so very much for downloading this episode of Panel to Panel, and I hope you will enjoy this episode. I think you will. We have quite a bit in the store. We are going to start off this episode like we always do. We will start off by covering the news, and then we will go into the Pandorica. We will open the Pandorica on... Uh, Doctor Who comic Empire of the Wolf issue number 3, the latest offering from Titan Comics and then we're going to do something a little different. We are going to go into the Matrix and look at a past Doctor Who story. Normally I do a comic story this is kind of tangential to comics I'm going to take a look at the 2003 BBC i Scream of the Shalka animated uh, webisodes that came out back in the day Um, it's animation it kind of ties into comics, and it's something that I uh, found myself watching this week. So we're going to take a look at it, and then we will finish up this episode with a chat with friend of the show. Uh, he's been around for, or been a friend of the show since uh, right from the beginning, pretty much. And uh, he lives down in New Zealand, which makes it kind of a challenge for me and him to coordinate our schedules to chat. But uh, Doctor Comic Expert comic companion writer and infotext author paul schoons will join us on this episode of panel to panel to chat about what he's been up to uh, we're just going to talk about doctor Who comics and doctor Who magazine and anything else that happens to come up on our radar so i hope you'll enjoy this episode i think you'll enjoy the chat with paul and with all that being said let's get into this episode In not true comic news for this episode of Panel to Panel, let's start out like we always do. Let's chat about what came out uh, since the last time I dropped an episode. We're going to go with Wednesday, January 12th, which is when uh, the Empire of the Wolf issue number three came out from Jody Hauser and uh, Roberta Ingranata. I almost forgot her name there for a second. But that issue came out then, and since then, nothing really new has come out. It's been rather quiet. We will be getting Part 4, or the final issue here, uh, coming up in February. And um, there should be a new issue of Doctor Who Magazine coming out here in the next couple weeks. So that's it for what's new and new releases. And as far as news goes, it's been rather quiet on the Doctor Who comic news front. Uh, About the only thing that was new uh, in way of comic news was that they released, uh, Titan released a picture of one of the covers for the 2022 special that will be coming out from writer Dan Slott and uh, artist Christopher Jones and Matthew Dow Smith. Uh, They're having a special cover uh, illustrated or drawn or created by uh, one of my favorite comic artists, Adam Hughes. He has done an excellent 10th Doctor and Martha cover, which uh, set the Doctor Who comic world on fire. And I thought it was rather interesting When this picture uh, started making its way around the internet uh, last week, it was amazing how many people I saw commenting how they didn't know there was a Doctor Who comic coming out that Dan Slott was writing and that they were going to make sure and get this. Um, I I find it interesting. and It's always interesting to me to see when something that I think is big news and something that I reported about, um, there's still lots of people out there who didn't know that it was going on. And so um, I guess that's a, a good sign that people are always finding out about something. So, you know, make sure you let people know uh, if you are big uh, social media people and and maybe haven't mentioned that there's a, a Dan Slott Doctor Who comic coming out. There's lots of Dan Slott fans out there or people you may know that Red Spider-Man are reading Fantastic Four right now or his run on Iron Man and Silver Surfer. Um, make sure you let people know, hey, do you know Dan Slott's going to do a Doctor Who comic? Maybe you don't know that they're a Doctor Who fan. Um, I think it's just something to let people know. So, uh, uh, outside of that, we found out that the cover price is going to be $7.99 US. And uh, right now, it's scheduled to be released on April 27th. So, make sure you mark your calendar on that. Let your comic shop know you want a copy of the 2022 special. And that is it for Doctor Who comic news. Let's go. Keep on chugging along in this episode. It's time once again to open the Pandorica, and this time we are going to take a look at Doctor Who comic Empire of the Wolf issue number three. This is part three of this four part story. It is written by writer Jody Hauser with art by Roberta Ingranada, coloring by Warnia K. Sahadua, and lettering by Comic Craft. Let's go with the previously. Rose and the 8th Doctor rescued the 11th Doctor, who was held captive by an alternate Rose Tyler, known as the Bad Wolf Empress. Now, they must work together to end her reign of terror and find a way to send Rose back home to her universe. So, we start out with, uh, like we just said in the previously, they've uh, rescued the 8th Doctor, and they're figuring out what they're going to do. So, basically... Uh, the two doctors and Rose uh, track down the bad wolf empress and kidnap her. It's almost like you would expect something like this to go on in a story where you have two characters who are look a- identical. One's good, one's not so good. Um, flip-flop them and go from there. Um, and that's basically what happens. Um, however, there's a little bit of a twist here, I think. Um, one of the things they do is When they kidnap the Bad Wolf Empress, the the 11th Doctor uh, puts her inside the TARDIS, basically puts her in jail uh, so that she can't get out to influence anything. And then the 11th Doctor decides to take her on a trip to see what the consequences of her trying to free this planet have turned into, uh, which I think is an interesting uh, kind of flip instead of just keeping her in prison. Let's show her what, uh, she doesn't see, the -the behind-the-scenes stuff, the, like I said, the consequences of her actions of helping save this, this race and this planet, but at the same time, it's turning it into, um, what she was trying to free them from. Meanwhile, while that happens, the Eighth Doctor and Rose come up with the idea of, let's have Rose impersonate the Bad Wolf Empress, and see if she can change things and make things better on this end. So, um, You have the two groups split off. Uh, Like I said, the 11th Doctor takes Rose uh, down the road to see uh, what happens, the consequence of her actions. And uh, there's what I consider a really nice touching scene between the Bad Wolf Empress and the 11th Doctor. In fact, I think it's one of the best scenes that Jodie Hauser has written in her entire run of Doctor Who comics. Um, I really enjoyed those few pages and the, the interaction between the, the 11th Doctor and Rose, the Bad Wolf Empress. Meanwhile, you have the, uh, Rose uh, dressing up as the, as the Empress and having a conversation with the 8th Doctor in which she reveals uh, what's going to happen to her in his future because they have a big discussion about how the paradoxes when Doctors meet they never seem to remember what happens afterwards, which is a really nice explanation of how you can have something like this happen and totally write it out of continuity because the, the the character isn't going to remember what happened here. So they have this meeting, this chat about uh, the, the potential or Rose's future, even though the Doctor isn't going to remember it. Uh, she becomes the Empress and tries to talk the army into... Uh, standing down and stopping things, and that's where we kind of end this issue, which is not what the army is going to do. In fact, they add more to their army, and they are getting ready to to go on the attack and and on start a war. So, without giving too much away, since this issue just came out not too long ago, um, that is issue number three. My review of this issue is: I really enjoyed this issue after a couple issues of what I felt was like a lot of stuff not going on, not happening. Just this little bit of of character interaction and changing things up a bit and figuring out what is uh, their plan of attack and what they're going to do to try to fix things, I think is uh, something that actually happened in this issue. Not only that, but the, the f- few pages that we had in there with the... The Eleventh Doctor and the Empress Rose, like I said, some of the best writing I think Jodie Hauser has done. Um, She brought up a a really interesting, valid point of how the actions of Rose, Empress Rose, trying to do something what she thought was right and try to free this race who had been enslaved basically just kind of turned the tables on more alien races and has enslaved them. Uh, she's made the people who needed some power and needed saving now the oppressors uh, on another race. And those few pages, the, the character of the 11th Doctor and the character of Rose really resonated there. And it felt like Jodie really captured the, the feel and the sound of these characters. And the, this one uh, moment alone, I think, made this whole issue. And I, I hope that we get a really good resolution to this whole thing and the final issue coming out this coming month. And I really enjoyed it. Jody Hauser. you did an awesome job. This is two big thumbs up for me. The artwork, uh, Roberta Granada's artwork continues to be excellent like it always is. Um, the coloring was excellent. I really don't have anything to uh, say as far as artwork goes. Uh, I always give praise to Roberta, although I will say that on the final page, the army that shows up that is going to be, I think, showcased in the final issue, um, even though that there's a lot of the same similar-looking trooper in it, um, to me it looks like a lot of cutting and pasting of the same character using one drawing, uh mirroring it, flipping it, and just uh, sticking them all in and layering them up instead of having to draw them all out hand by hand. But that's just me. At least that's what it looks like to, to my eye. I could be totally wrong on this. But uh, that's just me being nitpicky. Anyway, really love this issue. Excellent writing. Great job, Jody Hauser. Make sure you read this issue just for that one scene alone. It is worth the, the $4 investment. And that is my review of Empire of the Wolf number 3. Excellent. I haven't done an Intro the Matrix segment where I take a look at a classic Doctor Who comic story. I haven't done one in quite some time. I've been busy for the past few months. Uh, Free time is kind of at a premium. But uh, things are starting to slow down now, and for some reason this past week, I had a chance to revisit a story that's one of my favorites. Uh, It is called Scream of the Shulka. For those of you who may not have heard of uh, Scream of the Shulka, Back in 2003, when Doctor Who was still kind of in the wilderness years, uh, the BBC their their web developing side, the BBCI, decided they were going to bring back the Doctor. They were going to create a new Ninth nice Doctor persona. He was going to be it was going to be an animated series. It was going to be um, I believe it was six parts, and it was going to be uh, animated on the BBCI website. And they had cast Richard E. Grant as the Ninth Doctor. And I thought it was really entertaining. It was a story written by a friend of the show, Paul Cornell. And uh, back when uh, Scream of the Shulka came out, not only was it released on the internet as, as a flash animation from Cosgrove Hall, but the BBC Books also did a novelization of it. And I still have my novelization and I decided to get that out this week and read through it, just because I haven't read that novelization for quite some time. Not only that, I had the DVD, so I might as well watch the DVD, and thus, this has turned into an impromptu Into the Matrix uh, segment. So, Scream of the Shalka was written by, like I said, Paul Cornell. It was animated by the Cosgrove Hall Studios, who are well known for Danger Mouse, and this was going to be New Doctor Who back in 2003. And right about the time that this was getting released, that was when the BBC then announced that Doctor Who was going to return to television screens. And so this Scream of the Shalka story is kind of, uh, it was a one-and-done thing. The the gist of the story is there is an alien menace uh, that comes to Earth called the Shalka. They are uh, kind of worm, snake-like creatures that... uh, live and thrive in the, the core, the center of the earth. Uh, they thrive on heat and volcanic activity, and they also thrive on noise. They can sense out humans because of sound. And the story starts out with a, a girl named Allison who is working in a, a pub where she's just kind of... Everybody's complacent. Everybody's trying to be quiet so the Shalka won't discover them and attack them and turn them to stone. Um, and... The doctor shows up and is wondering what's going on because it's you know London on a Saturday night and or on a, uh, an evening when it should be busy and hopping and it's not. The doctor finds out that everybody's scared because there's some men- menace that's that's terrorizing them and he's going to put a stop to it. The story continues with Allison helping the doctor out, um, and basically it's the 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 doctor ninth doctor new ninth doctor and Allison trying to stop the Shalka aliens from uh, terrorizing the entire planet. It's a fun story. I really enjoyed it. And um, there's lots of different aspects of what I liked about it. Back in the day when this came out, this was going to be New Doctor Who. It was announced as New Doctor Who, and I was on board 100%. I thought doing an animation version of the of Doctor Who is was a brilliant idea. It's almost like taking a comic book and putting it on a screen because you, in animation, you don't have a budget, really. You can create whatever world you want. You can create whatever aliens you want. You don't have any physical limitations on things. And I think Scream of the Shalka* did a good job taking advantage of that. I love the the, uh, design of the Shalka aliens. I thought that they were really interesting and cool and neat to look at. I love the design of what the Ninth Doctor looked like. He almost looked kind of like a vampire, uh, very gothic. He reminded me uh, almost, it was a nice kind of next step after the Eighth Doctor closed kind of along the same lines as the TV movie, but not quite. Um, And I thought Richard E. Grant did an excellent job as the Ninth Doctor. He kind of had a little bit of humor to him, but you could also tell as you learn in the story, he has lost somebody or someone and he's still feeling the after effects of that. Um, maybe it was something that happened in the time war. We don't really know. They never really say, but it was neat to see him kind of come around through the story and, and get his, his happiness and, uh, his joy back going from a, a rather dark, grim, somber doctor to one, um, more like the Doctor we used to seeing by the end of it. I also enjoyed the fact, one of the things that I love that Paul Cornell did in this story is basically the Doctor's companion that he has before uh, uh, Allison is the Master is inside the TARDIS. The the Master is now inhabiting an android body, and they make uh, kind of fun of that in a couple different spots where... The 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 doctor uses a remote to turn the master off and shut him down, and his his faceplate flips open, so you see that it's a an android or a robot, and not really the master. The master in this part was played by Derrick Jacoby, and he did an excellent job. He had definitely the feel of the master, that nice calm, quiet attitude, where he's he you can tell he's. Maniacally trying to figure out how he can escape the clutches of the doctor and uh, be on his way, but at the same time biding his time. Uh, it was just uh, Derry Jacoby did an excellent job as the master. Reading the novelization of this uh, story as well as watching it, uh, it was it's really good. It's a really good story. It's nice. It's a good solid story. Nice beginning, middle, end. You don't need to know a lot about Doctor Who to get into the story, and I highly recommend it. If you can track down watching Scream of the Shalka or reading the novelization, you won't be disappointed. Um, As far as the animation goes, it's this was back in the days of Flash animation, so it's kind of limited. But to me, it looks really good. It has a style all its own. Cosgrove Hall did an excellent job of animating the story, and I highly, highly recommend Scream of the Shalka. Even if you just look at it as this could be another one of the doctor's lives that that, uh, she has forgotten about. Now that we know that there are multiple doctors and multiple lives that she has led uh, that she doesn't remember, this could be one of them. Just stick it in there as another part of this spread out canon that we have. Uh, Watch it. Enjoy it. I really think you'll like it. Kudos to Paul Cornell and Cosgrove Hall and Scream of the Shulka. You will be All right, today on Dr. Who Panel, the panel, I have the pleasure of chatting with Paul Schoons. Paul, thanks for joining me again. It's been a long time. It has
1: indeed. Thank you for having me, Jeremy.
0: Oh, no problem. How are things down in New Zealand? Oh, good, good. Lovely sunshine at the moment. Oh, well, that's good. I uh it's been quite some time since we've chatted, but I know you've been busy with lots of projects. Um the first thing I was going to talk about is uh, I know over in the UK it just got announced that uh, they announced a new Blu-ray set that's going to be coming out, and uh, I believe you did some work on it, didn't you?
1: That's right, yes. Um, season 22. I've um, done the the new infotext for um, Mark of the Rani. I, oh, I've, awesome. Yeah. I've spent a long time not being able to talk about it because obviously you can't talk about it until it's been announced. I'm almost hesitant when you say, oh, we can talk about it now. I can't
0: remember.
1: Yes, it has actually been announced. I'm okay to talk about it. Oh,
0: well, that's great. Well, I know you've done quite a bit of InfoText for various different episodes. Uh, how did how did this one come about?
1: Um. Well, I, I've kind of just kept kept my, 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 myself available, and each time a set's come along, if there's been a set, even if there's been new um, infotext that needs writing, I've I've sort of said, "Hey, I'll do one." So, okay, I I, I never turned them down. Um, and this time around, there were three stories that needed new info infotext: um, Mark of the Rani, the Two Doctors and revelation of the daleks so um my editor martin wiggins has done revelation of the daleks and uh, my fellow subtitle writer um, jim smith has done revelation so martin's done two doctors and i've done um mark of the rani as i said before sure i i i chose mark of the rani over over um revelation which is the the two choices i had because I felt the um, the historical background of Mark of the Rani would give me a lot more detail to write about. And that actually proved to be fortuitous, because when the production files came through, these are the things, you know, the PDFs you can see on on, on the Blu-rays, uh-huh. which we use as source material for researching the story, most of the Mark of the Rani um, production notes were missing. They've, they've got lost sometime in the past. Okay. So. There's a very scant amount of information on the actual production of the story, which is frustrating because if you know anything about the history of Mark of the Rani, uh, the the original location filming got rained off on the second week, and so it had to be rescheduled. And because of this lack of paperwork, we don't actually know very much about what went on with that rescheduling, and you know, and exactly what was shot and what was lost and what had to be made up in the new location, so Um, it was a bit frustrating to have that, and it also meant scarily for me that I had a whole story I had to fill with subtitles and not nearly as much information as I was used to, Yeah. so i was going what do i fill it with but having chosen a historical story i was obviously able to deep dive into the the historical background of it and talk a lot about george stevenson and the luddites and 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 lord ravensworth who who are you know all real life historical figures Uh and and um even even luke ward Who's the 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 poor unfortunate who gets turned into a tree in the second episode? Uh He he's he's a he's a fictional creation, but he's very much based on George Stevenson's real life apprentice. So I was able to draw a number of parallels between the, the two characters. So, so yeah, it, it, it was very very fascinating. My my um university degrees in history, so I was kind of a bit rusty <laughs> many many years ago that I, oh, I well, studied, studied this the subject, but I was able to like revisit all that and 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 had a lot of help, particularly from um, Dr. Matthew Kilburn in the UK. He he's a, a distinguished um doctor of history himself and so i got in touch with him and said hey you know can you can you help me out here because when i started writing this we were in the middle of lockdown in new zealand so all the libraries were closed so oh, okay.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah i was i was limited in what i could actually research myself but he was fortunately able to send me lots of scans of uh, various things that really helped
0: oh that's awesome I, I i've always wondered with i know you've done quite a bit of these info text for various different releases yes and uh, uh, how much of a challenge is it for you to do that from New Zealand? You know, you don't necessarily can't go to the BBC and go look through their files.
1: Yeah, when I first started doing this, and we're talking 2008 when I was working on the DVDs, that's the first one, and it was planned to fire and the other one I researched at the same time was Frontios, it didn't come out to a bit later. I actually was in the UK when I started work on them. I was on holiday there just, just by pure coincidence. I didn't fly over especially. And so I spent a day I went to the, the Cavisham um, written archives and in Reading for a day trip and spent a day just sitting there going through the files. And that was fascinating. But ever since then, as you say, I've been based in New Zealand, and I'm very fortunate that um, there have been people who are willing and able to um, scan or photograph those files and scripts and and email them to me. So it's it's made it's made life a, a lot easier and made made it possible for me to keep going with this this work. So otherwise, obviously, as you can probably appreciate, it wouldn't be possible.
0: Yeah, most definitely.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, when back, I mean, technology has moved on. Back when, back when I started doing this work, the uh, video files with the with the time codes on them would would be burnt to see, to DVD and posted to me, so I'd be waiting, you know, the from the postal service to deliver those before I could start work. These uh-huh. days, they just send me send me a download link. So. You know, it's it's as soon as the stuff's ready to go, they'll they'll send me the downloads, they'll send me the PDFs of the scripts. they'll send me the PDFs of the production no uh, the uh, production files, and they'll send me the the links to the downloads for the video files. So yeah. everything's at my fingertips via the internet. So really, I could be I could be sitting in the room next door to them, or I could be here in New Zealand. It doesn't make any bit of difference at all.
0: Uh-huh. Well, there's still an awful lot of uh, digging through all the facts and files to find all the interesting little tidbits and try to figure out what you think is relevant and what you know is something that fans wouldn't be interested in
1: mm, it's particularly fascinating when you find out new things that no one's discovered before that's that's always a name. i like to get at least one new fact and in, in every every one i do something that you know no matter yeah. how well how well researched how well knowledgeable you are about the story you're still going to find out something new that you've never realized before and the other the other thing that's quite satisfying to do um is without criticizing anyone in particular is is to bust the myths if you know what i mean To, to to people think oh i've always known this fact about the story and you point out well no actually it's wrong the the, 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 this isn't right at all. It's just something that people have assumed about the story, but it's not actually correct. So, so both of those yeah. aspects are things that I aim to do with each one.
0: Well, I would think that after all this time and you know the info texts that have come out on the DVD releases before the the Blu-rays, a lot of the stuff, is stuff that you know, all the the facts and information that you're going through is the same stuff that everybody else would have gone through be, you know, previously. All the The other people have written articles for Doctor Who magazine, for example, would have gone through the same stuff. How how does it work out so that you know you end up finding something that maybe somebody else hasn't?
1: Well, it's a very good question. I mean, there are files that that haven't been researched before. Um, I mean, yeah, if you're thinking of Andrew Pixley's articles in in Doctor Who magazine, would be a good example of where files are used. When Andrew first started doing the fa- the archives, he didn't have access, so his early work doesn't have the 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 archive access and the paperwork. He's he's relying on other sources, and yeah. you can spot the midpoint of his well, maybe it's not quite the midpoint, but there's certainly a point in in the archives where he gets that access. And I think it's about from memory, it's about, and I, I'm sure that this will be contradictory for me. It's about ninety two or ninety three. Okay, that that the access becomes available to Doctor Who magazine, and thereafter they're able to to use that information. So for the early ones, they don't have that access, and also too, um, Andrew was probably limited by the word count that he was able to put into it. Whereas you know, I uh, I can possibly say more. I don't know. It's I haven't really sort of toted it up, but there's certainly things to be found that that maybe got overlooked or misinterpreted, or I don't know. I'm not. I'm not casting a special on, the, on Andrew's <laughs> work, uh, <laughs> but there's always, what I'm saying is there's always new details to be discovered. I mean, one one classic example without going into too much detail about Mark of the Rani, there are, there are mem- memos in the production work that does survive talking about the reasons for the rescheduling of the uh, filming because of the bad weather. Uh-huh. And depending on your interpretation of that, you can say, well – the script got rewritten to transfer some of this location work into studio because that's what it says on the memo. But when you actually look at the scripts and you look at the dates on the scripts and you look at some of the other paperwork and you look at the filming schedule, you know, you you sort of go, hang on, that's not actually correct because you, you know, the, the dates don't marry up. So Uh sometimes just having a fresh look at the same paperwork can, can yield new facts. Well,
0: that's really interesting. You know, um, I always enjoy reading the info text. Uh, usually, when I get when a DVD gets released back in the day, or the Blu-rays now, you know, I'll go through and I'll watch an episode or a story all the way through regularly, and then I'll turn on the info text and watch it a second time, just kind of more following along with the info text. I always find it interesting to to learn the the behind the scenes stuff that that a lot of times we don't know all that much about.
1: Mm. What well, what I would say for people who have watched who are getting the Blu-rays and have watched the DVDs previously with the infotext is do 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 make the effort to watch the infotext with the Blu-rays because it's all it's not necessarily completely rewritten, but certain I mean, certainly in some stories like the ones I've just mentioned for season twenty-two, um, they've been rewritten. But even ones like Vengeance on Varos, which will be on the same set. Now that's reusing my my same production notes from uh the dvd the special edition dvd that i worked on back in the day but Mm -hmm. we revisited it and made corrections and fixed fixed bits and you know things that we've found out since so it's still you know it's still updated
0: yeah well definitely you definitely want to check those out and i'm Mm -hmm. i'm looking forward to season 22 coming out here in the states or colin baker season one as they're calling it here (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, when, when I became a doctor who fan, uh, that was the season that I first started watching on, on Iowa public television. So it's, you know, that yeah. has a special place in my heart. Colin Baker has a special place there.
1: You're making me feel very old, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I was just, I was a late person coming to doctor who's, so, right, you know, sure. I, it was, it was about, I I think it was about the time of Iowa public television's first airing of those episodes. So, you know, it would have been 85, 86, somewhere in there, but, mm-hmm. um, but the moving on to to totally I was going to topics. say, I was
1: going to say just about season 22 from my memory of it is it's a, it's a very mysterious thing for me because uh, New Zealand was way behind. With, with, so we were seeing like when John, when season 22 was on in the UK, we were about to see all the John Pertwee stuff for a second time around or some of it had never been screened before, but it was a complete run of those. So it was a couple of years before I got to see season 22. So the only way in which I got to experience those stories was reading Doctor Who magazine. Or reading the Target novels, so oh, okay. <laughs> Do, I mean, it, comes, it ties into our point about Doctor Who magazine. But, but um, the, the, every, all those pictures and all those reviews and everything—that's all I knew about the season. Nothing else.
0: Yeah. So it, to, it,
1: it was just very. It almost felt feels like when I talk about season twenty-two, it's like a—it's this thing that for a long time was this very mysterious thing. I knew very little about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, you know back back in those days for a lot of people, Doctor Who magazine was the the way you found out about new stuff if you weren't over in the UK. you know a lot of yeah. people here in the states uh, that was where you found all your all your news and information way before the internet definitely. So um speaking of Dr Who magazine, you are somebody I consider one of the foremost experts on the the Doctor Who comics trip, you know not just Dr Who magazine, but before Doctor Who magazine had it. And, uh, I, I know you, uh, had mentioned to me that you're still hard at work on the, the next volume of your comic strip companion. How's that going? Yeah. To my shame, it's still going. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a big undertaking, you know, for uh, for one person. It is. It is.
1: It's uh, it's a pro it's about 500 pages on, on my computer at the moment. So <laughs> it's a, it's a big, big beast. Um, it's. I'd like to say it's close to completion, but I've said that before and been burnt. So, uh, <laughs> but the reality is that um, just circum- life circumstances, have meant I've had to put it aside a few times over the years. Yep. Other works got involved, other life circumstances got involved. But coming back to it fresh, I can see all the things that if I'd gone to print, that I wouldn't have been happy with. So I'm, I'm very relieved that I've had this opportunity to revise it. So, the more I'm looking at it, the more improvements I'm making in the way I see it. But at some point, I'm going to have to call it quits and then say, hey, it's done. Uh-huh. There are still, well, uh, still bits to fill in. Um, some of the reviews still need to be written. Um, I've still got to do some work on the appendices. They're, they're not complete yet. Um, there are there are a few bits and pieces I need to plug in earlier on in the book. Um, but you know for the vast part of it it's 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 ninety five percent complete at the moment. so if if I have a good sort of solid month or two at it, then then I can probably finish it off, but it's just scheduling that time, you know yeah. you yeah. you and I appreciate just how busy we can be in retail, particularly that you're just just trying to, owning your own business, running your own business so just you know yeah <laughs>
0: trying, trying to Schedule, find scheduling
1: time. that time can be can be just
0: <laughs> practical. Definitely trying, trying to find free time just to do anything can be a challenge, you know, yeah. when life gets in the way, you know, real life gets in the way of all those fun little projects to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you're, you're somebody, like I said, you're, you're an expert on the comic strip, but I know you're a big proponent of the Doctor Who comic strip and Doctor Who magazine. Um, we haven't shattered for quite some time. How, what did you, how did you feel about Doctor Who magazine putting the comic strip on hiatus for a while?
1: mixed feelings because on one hand probably like you i was terribly disappointed to see it go um you know a keen follower of the the comics driven to me it's a large part of the identity of the magazine and and so to not have it there feels like the magazine's incomplete like it's missing something from its lineup that's like some of the pages are missing almost yeah so part of the identity is not there you know but on the other hand as as someone who's Seen behind the scenes. I mean, I've written for stuff for Doctor Who Magazine. Um, Marcus has um, commissioned me over the years a few times to do stuff for him. I understand the practicalities of, that, 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 that of the magazine and and the 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 sheer expense of doing the comic strip. And if you've got to cut costs, then then it's an obvious target to to, to arrest the comic strip and to ensure the survival of the magazine. So you know, I have two minds about. it. On one hand, I'm going, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's very sad to see it go, but on the other hand, if the alternative is we don't get Doctor Who magazine at all, then by all means go ahead, rest the comic strip.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I, I'm in the same court as you. You know, it's it's sad to not have it for a while, but I would rather have a break from it and have it come back and still have a magazine than not have a magazine at all. Sure, yeah. Definitely. So, uh, um, yeah. Speaking of, of Marcus, I know you had listened to the my episode that I did where I t- chatted with Marcus Hern and. Uh, yes you had mentioned that you wanted to, to discuss uh, my interview with him. So uh, going into that, what what points do you think that he brought up that you might've cut co- or might've caused concern for you or something you wanted to chat about?
1: I'm not necessarily concern. I just thought that there was more that we could say about um, uh, what, what, what might be coming up going forward. I mean, obviously Marcus wasn't uh, fully able to say what, what he had planned. I just thought it might be interesting to speculate about what, what, what was what was coming up possibly i mean one of the one of the yeah one one of the things with the with the comic strip i mean obviously marcus was talking to you about doing the um the countdown reprints right yeah
0: yeah
1: and that's that's something a few years ago i was actually talking to scott gray at panini about and i was was pitching the idea to because he was saying to me well what are your ideas because you know having researched that era quite extensively he was interested to know what i made of the 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 prospect of doing the reprints, and so I I, mm. I actually pitched to him an idea for a three-volume set of the uh, of the reprints, and and just looking at the way it broke down as as a standard Panini graphic novel length, you could break it across three volumes quite easily. Okay. With with a bit of supplementary material at the back of each each book, so that worked out quite nicely the whole sort of, you know, COVID and and, and everything locking down. And so nothing's actually gone further with it. And and obviously listening to Marcus, it's quite understandable. That's probably on the back burner at the moment. But, I mean, it's also interesting, too, to hear his thoughts about under what circumstances he'd want to do those reprints. Um, He mentioned that he'd only really want to do them if he could get hold of the original artwork, which is totally understandable. But it also means that if that artwork isn't available, do we miss out altogether? which seems yeah, a bit of a sad compromise.
0: Yeah. That's what I was kind of wondering is, you know, you know, what are, what are the odds that a lot of that artwork still survives? You know, it's something that back in the day when they were doing it, it was just artwork that was kind of disposable. Like any other comic artwork was back in the day, you know, it's something that was made to be printed. Once it's printed, the artwork just disappeared. So it's, it's a good question as to how much of that actually is in the hand of collectors and how much possibly might be out there and what happens if you don't have a lot, are you going to just say, well, we're not going to be able to reprint it up to the standards that we want. So we're just not going to do it. Or do you uh, go with almost like with the missing episodes, you know, uh, when are you going to draw the line and say, okay, this is as good as it's going to get and let's just go with it. Or do we not do it at all?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the, I mean, I spoke to, john freeman when i was researching my original book you know the first comic strip companion and he was saying that because he was the one who originally bought the rights that panini now own for the uh the Polystyle era stuff the tv comic countdown tv action era comics and so he was saying that when they did the negotiation he got the chance to go along to the warehouse where all those art boards were stored and he said they were in a terrible state. And as far as he could see, all the Doctor Who stuff had been taken. So, you know, it, mm. if someone had gone through it and and, yeah. and and just whether that was the original artists, whether it was collectors, who knows? Yeah. But the point was they were no longer there. So he wasn't able to get those those are the original art. Now, some of the original art has surfaced in, in private collections. Um, and, and you'll know from, from reading the, the, the most excellent Vort magazine, you'll, you'll see some of the, uh-huh. the uh, collectors interviewed in there and some of the artwork reproduced in, the, in the, those issues. Um, so, yes, there are pages, but they are scattered pages, and there's probably not complete runs. It's probably not nearly as complete as the, as the Dalek strip that Marcus was using, for example. So he said, was it three quarters of the total run he was able to find? Yeah. That was really impressive for such an old strip. Yeah. to be able to find that much material. So, there, I mean, and, and, and listening to Marcus too, I mean, it makes obvious sense when he talks about it, but there's just such a huge amount of restoration work required if you are scanning off the printed copies. So the time and the finance involved to actually create these reprints might be quite considerable if, for instance, you've got to actually just source copies of the comic strip from printed copies scan those at the highest resolution possible and then do an awful lot of cleaning up to get them to a printable state so i can appreciate why he might think that that's just a bit insurmountable at this point
0: yeah and you know thinking about that just how the the cost alone for how much that would be to to under to for that big of an undertaking and is it worthwhile to spend that much money on something that uh you don't you with Doctor Who magazine you have a, a lot of Doctor Who fans that have been reading the the magazine since it was first came out in the 70s but as yep. far as the 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 precursor to Doctor Who magazine you know you got to figure out how many people are going to be interested in in that sort of thing
1: I think the interest is there I'm I'm pretty sure of that um I mean you got to bear in mind that a lot of these strips haven't been seen particularly in published form since, oh gosh, we classic comics back in 1993, 94. yeah, so yep, that's yep, a I very long agree. time for them to be out of print. I mean, yes, they've done a. Panini's done a few um, supplements in recent years. They did the one with um, the Glen is sleeping. I think they did Fogbound. And um, Sub Zero; those are the three yeah. stories they've done in their reprints. And the, 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 I think those are all some. Uh, I might be wrong, but I think those are scanned off printed copies and restored. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're original artwork, so they look pretty crisp. You
0: yeah, know, I, uh, I you, Especially Sub Zero. I know that was one mm-hmm. that uh, I think that was the most recent one that came out, and that was also one that seeing the what they had done with that, I thought it looked amazing. And I always was wondering if that was their way of kind of testing the water to see what the reception was with fans as to how, Mm. you know, would it be feasible for them to go through and maybe start printing or reprinting these and cleaning them up and making them look good.
1: Testing the water in two senses too. You're quite right. But it's also um, seeing how they could change the artwork because particularly with Sub-Zero, those are two-page spreads. And the issue with that is that when they originally appeared in Countdown, they were the center spread. So it was one continuous sheet of paper. Um, And so being bound into a book means that uh, um, the artwork which appears across the centre line of the page, which wouldn't have been an issue in the stapled original issue, um, is obviously lost in the binding. And that also, uh, um, unfortunately, the um, captions and speech balloons also cut across the centre line. So what they had, what Perry Goldbod, Scott Bold, sorry, the um, the designer for Doctor Who magazine. She actually moved very cleverly the uh, the text out of the centre line, and and very subtly moved it to either side of the uh, the centre line. So it just looks, you, you unless you compare the two, you don't notice it's been done. Yeah. But but the end result is that you're not losing stuff in the fold, and so there's a lot of work involved there for all of those. Uh, not the entire run of Countdown, but quite a considerable amount of it is actually two-page spreads. So there would all also be that that work required to to do those. So yeah, it, it's an undertaking. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of
0: work. Well, definitely. Well, uh, something that is maybe not so much of an undertaking, but I think is still something of interest to fans is, uh, as far as Doctor Who magazine goes, we're reaching the point where they've reprinted basically all of the comic strips from doctor Who magazine as the nice graphic novels that they've been putting yeah. out, but we still have the, the backup strips that they, they haven't done. And, uh, do you think that's something that they are going to do since that's kind of all that's left for them to do?
1: I would certainly hope so. It's a case of so close and yet so far in a way it's, it's- <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just the backup strips. I mean, I, I've, I've totaled this up for the was having a look at it earlier today. By my reckoning, there's 53 pages of comic strip from the 90s that haven't been done yet. Okay. So The Man in the Iron Mask, City of Devils, Are You Listening, Younger and Wiser, Plastic Millennium, The Seventh Segment, Daleks vs. the Martians, and The Daleks Return of the Elders. So there's those comic strips which are (laughs) all 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 yet to be reprinted, but that's only 53 pages. That's not really a volume in itself. Yeah, that's not enough material.
0: Yeah, it's too bad they, they didn't include those as pages here and there and all the other volumes that they had.
1: Well, had. I, I suspect I suspect they were limited by whatever the prescribed length for the book was, you know, that basically they yep. were told here's here's how many pages you can have. Obviously if they put more pages in it would cost more money to produce the book, the price of the book would go up. So the book, the, the 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 graphic novels are, are limited in the length that they can be. So, I understand yeah. that, but it has resulted in in, in a sort of a, a bit left over that doesn't quite add up to a full volume. But if you take into account the backup strips, which we were just talking about, and merge those with those, you've probably got two vol- full volumes worth of material because there's 157 pages of unreprinted backup strip. So, okay. You know, that's that's you're looking at just over 200 pages there, so you know, just yeah. just over 100 pages of volume. That's that that looks more more promising, right? So
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: And once you include the back, you know, the 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 um, supplementary material at the back of the book, that that, that tends to flesh it out. Mm-hmm. And the question too would be, and you you might have a thought on this: some of the backup strips have been reprinted before because we've had the the epsilon dark stuff and we've had the croton and the cybermen stuff that have appeared in previous volumes would you redo them again or would you leave them out if you, if you were doing the backup strip volumes
0: i me personally i think i would include them i would say it's all part of the 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 backup strips that would be nice little collections in and of themselves
1: i th- i tend to agree i think that yes uh, it's uh, they should all be will be um, together in the, in the right order, so so yeah, I'd, I'd, and that would help too, to, to boost that page count up a little bit as well.
0: Yeah, and so, uh, I, I think another reason to, to have those backup strips reprinted is uh, for people outside of the UK, uh, I don't know about, you know, over in Australia and New Zealand, but over here in the States, back when Doctor Who Magazine was coming out as Doctor Who Weekly, and then when it switched to monthly, when those backup strips were in those early magazines, uh, a lot of fans over here in the States weren't able to get a hold of those. It was right. back in the, the early days of comic shops and trying to get something, you know, shipped over from the UK. Uh, I've talked to plenty of people that when they became Doctor Who fans in the late 70s, early 80s, um, they, their local comic shop, it would, you know, you might get one Doctor Who magazine and not see another one for six months. So well, a lot of people so- won't have seen those, those those backup strips, myself included.
1: Was that because the US was doing its own Marvel reprints of the Doctor Who strip at the time? Um, was, that, was that preventing Doctor Who magazine from getting into the American market? I
0: don't. I don't think so. I think it was still um, in the the early enough stages of Doctor Who fandom here, where uh, and you know comic shops over here in the states didn't really start showing up as, as standalone businesses till the, the early to mid eighties. So um, those shops that were coming up the same time as, as Dr. Who is becoming popular or more popular thanks to public television stations. Um, I think they were having a tough time getting stuff imported from the UK. Um, I know uh, Gene Smith, for example, who runs the Chicago TARDIS convention uh, back in the the eighties, he kind of got his own start making his own business going over to the UK and buying up doctor who merchandise uh, like doctor who magazine and, and toys and badges and stuff and bringing it over to the United States to resell it um, right. just because that's how tough it was to get doctor who merchandise here. And he knew that there was a market for it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, obviously when the, I mean, and this is something that's quite v- v- front of my mind at the moment. Cause I'm right. As I mentioned, I'm writing about the reprints of but um, a lot of the backup strips did actually see print in the, uh, in, the in the American comic, albeit yeah. in a colorized form. So they, they, those those would still be familiar, I guess, to a certain amount of the the American readership.
0: Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I I, w- I would say so. You know, people that were Doctor Who fans back in when Marvel was putting out that Doctor Who comic, there mm-hmm. there were some in there, but. Uh, I, I I have some of those Doctor Who comics. I actually have a, the whole run of the Doctor Who comic, and I can tell you from looking at those strips, the, the coloring has a lot to be desired, first of all. Yeah. And mm. and it would be nice seeing those all as nice, crisp black and white reprints in a, a book that I could put on my bookshelf.
1: Definitely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the I mean, I guess the other issue, is where we've touched on this before, is that it's quite likely that with the strips that are left to be reprinted, we're talking two magazine here, uh-huh. um, that they don't exist as original artwork as well. I don't know. Some of them may not. So the same issues that Marcus was talking about in terms of the expense of doing the countdown TV comic reprints may also apply to these volumes. If sure. if the necessity is that they need to scan the actual issues printed issues and restore the artwork from that. Yeah. So yeah, that, that might that might be holding things up as well. I mean it's all very well we think about the the the, the speed at which the graphic novels have come out in recent years, particularly with the new new series stuff. But you've got to remember that they're digital files. They're, they've they've have always been on file at, at Panini. They they're able to just take them from the, the the issues and go. Well, just compile them together and reprint them. So, mm-hmm. uh, the the expense of doing those volumes is far less. I, I would imagine than the expense of having to do all the restoration work on on these 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 much earlier strips from the eighties and nineties.
0: Yeah, um, one one question I you know have. Um, do you do you think that there would be any rights issues or problems there with the backup strips because they're not necessarily strictly Doctor Who type stuff?
1: What can you give an example? Of what one you might think have rights issues?
0: Um, not off, not off the top of my head. I was just wondering mm. if, if if it's like you know, uh, like for example, Croton being a, it, sure he's a, he's a Cyberman, but he's kind of a creator-owned character. Right. Um, would would that you have to get the, the permission from the the creators of that particular character to, in order to reprint it?
1: Possibly. I think the issue might be more with the rights to the characters from the television series because they're creator-owned. So okay. if you use the Cybermen, you've got to pay the estates of Kit Pedler and Jerry Davis. If you use the Daleks, you've got to pay the estate of Terry right. Nation okay you know ice warriors brian hales those sort of things so and and i don't think and i could be corrected on this but i don't think that doctor magazine or doctor Who weekly as it was at the time were necessarily doing that by the letter back in the day so when those original backup strips appeared they were probably just thinking they had a license to doctor who and they could do whatever the hell they like with it yeah because from the paperwork that does survive and Vorp, VORP's covered some of this, so it's not exactly information that I'm, I'm talking about for the first time, but I've seen the original paperwork and there are constant memos from BBC enterprises to Marvel saying we've had a contact from the um, agent of Bob Baker and Dave Martin saying, we notice you're doing a canine comic strip. However, my, my clients have not received a fee for this or, uh-huh. Or Terry Hank, I mean Roger Hancock, who was Terry Nation's agent, saying, "Well, um, we need to sit down and discuss. You know, we, you're, you're doing a Doctor, you're doing a Dalek strip, and we haven't discussed any any fees here." So, I think I think Doctor Who Weekly were kind of just thinking, "This is what we can get away with," back in the yeah. day, and they probably I and mean, they probably rightly felt there was probably possibly a bit of a misunderstanding. They probably felt because they bought the rights to do a Doctor Who comic that they were able to use whatever monsters they liked. And until someone pulled them up on that, that they were, they, they thought, well, you know, this is fine. This is, this is uh-huh. how we, how we, how we do it. Um, so the coming back to your thing about rights, I think it's more an issue of when those strips get reprinted, are their rights due again to the original creators? So if you are doing a, um, a collection of backup strips, you might be covering a whole range of Doctor Who monsters within one book. So there might be a whole range of fees to, to yeah. you know, whereas any other graphic novel might just have one Cyberman story or one Dalek story in it. You've got a whole range of monsters all in the space of one book. That that could possibly be, and this is me just speculating, I don't know quite what the rights issue is, but yeah. I suspect it might be the case that there's a whole range of, of fees that might be due and therefore might make backup strips possibly, pains me to say it, but it might make them unaffordable.
0: Yeah, I, I totally understand mm. your point and I see where you're coming from on that. Yeah. You know, it's it's possible with with them having to pay the rights to the the creators of the the mon, the monsters or the you know whatever character was used on that strip might make it uh, not so cost effective to to reprint those. Combine mm. that with the having to not have the original artwork and have to clean up the the, you know, copies of uh, the scans of the the pages that were originally printed, and you have a a whole lot of cost that's going to go into making a, a graphic novel reprinting those backup mm-hmm. strips
1: yeah so on one hand you and i can sit here and look at the gap on our shelves and go why can't we have those (laughs) final books
0: (laughs) logistically there are reasons (laughs) yep yep well we'll tell you what let's talk about something that's a a little bit uh, maybe maybe a little bit happier to chat about speaking of of uh you know the these backup strips and different characters um have you been uh, keeping up on the the latest in way of doctor who comics or doctor related comics? Um, Have you been following along on cutaway comics and what they've been doing? What do you, what do you think of the current doctor who comic market right now?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It all feels a bit, bit piecemeal at the moment. I, I can't, uh, I wasn't particularly taken with the um, time Lord Victoria stuff. I thought that was all a bit disjointed. I don't know how you felt about but it, it didn't, it didn't really cohere for me. I'm, yeah. I'm, while I'm, while I'm very much a fan of the comic strips, I'm, I'm I nearly really sort of dip in and out of Big Finish, for instance. So, I'm sure. not a, const, I'm not a constant follower of their range. So, when you've got a story that you need to be following across different media in order to get the full experience, I, I felt a little bit lost with that. Yeah, I certainly enjoyed the the, uh, the standalone vampire story in Doc Doctor Who magazine that Scott Gray put together. That that was brilliant, mm-hmm. with Chris, Chris Eccleston's Doctor. I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, myself. For the
1: mm, the the Titan one with was it David Tennant standing around talking to a Dalek for an entire yeah. issue. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I, I think the one crime that you can do with a comic strip is to be static. Panel after panel of the same two characters in a room quickly becomes boring on the page, and and, I I
0: I would agree with that. Uh, The only person, the only writer I can think of that can pull that off is Brian Michael Bendis.
1: Right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean. I, I could I could appreciate the 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 vision and 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 the the um the 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 scope of the ambition for the Time War Victorious series, but I, I just I don't know it's something about it just left me a little bit bit cold maybe mm-hmm. a little bit un, un, uninvolved. I said that sounds a bit bit. Bit harsh, doesn't it? But <laughs> but yeah, no, it didn't. It didn't grab me, shall we say, as, yeah. as 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 a series. Um, but you know, I I appreciate the 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 strips, and and I still continue to to read. I would never get to the point where I go, oh, I'm not going to keep reading it. Yeah. But it also seemed a shame too that it feels a bit like Jody Whittaker's Doctor has been sidelined by Titan in, in recent years that they've kind of gone all oh, let's let's bring David Tennant into it because he's so much more popular. And yeah, it feels I, almost I totally like, agree. Yeah, it feels almost like they're not, and, and Missy as well, they're not really giving Jodie's Doctor a good run, a uh, good good solid opportunity to build up a, a, a solid body of stories in the comics, and that seems a bit of a shame because before we know it, she'll be gone and, and there'll just be this fairly sort of piecemeal range of strips for her.
0: Yeah, with Titan, I, I, I think I've kind of voiced my opinion across various episodes of my podcast. But it it seems like uh, they they haven't given Jody's doctor uh, a a good shot, a lot of good stories with her in there, and uh, uh, it seems to me that that Jody Hauser stories that she's been telling, not just with the Jody doctor, but with, you know, the 10th doctor and any doctor that she writes, it seems like there's not a lot of substance to the stories. It's, it's she tries to do too little with the amount of space that she has to, to tell a story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that. And it feels, I mean, it's hard too to judge it as a a reader because the very same things we're talking about with Doctor Who magazine may be impacting Titan. For all we know, they may have planned a whole range of Jodie stories, and because of the covid situation over the last couple of years affecting publication and sales that it may yeah. be possible that we may have got a monthly comic and as it is we've only got say two or three issues in the last i don't know tight the titan stuff seems very far and few between at the moment so yeah whereas once upon a time there would have been a new issue every month so that may be a result of of, of, of the whole covid impacting the business for them yeah, as, uh, well, as well as panini
0: yeah, I, I think that, and uh, I know Titan. I uh, they were supposed to be doing uh, are doing a story where Captain Jack was going to appear, and right. uh, they had to cancel that one due to the whole sure. controversy with with uh, uh, Barrowman. Sure. So it's 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 possible that Jody was like, kind of like, okay, you got to totally switch gears, and we still need a story now.
1: Yeah, yeah. It does. It does seem a shame that we got two stories on on, on the fly, both both with. David Tennant's doctor, you know what does I mean? It's kind of yeah. like it almost seems to be a bit of a full whack position that you know we we need to bump up the, the the popularity of the comic strip. So let's bring in let's bring in Tennant, good <laughs> yeah, old yeah. faithful.
0: Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, have you checked out Cutaway Comics at all? Have you read any of the the spinoffs that they've been doing?
1: I've only had a quick look at some of them. Um, the Paradise Towers one I've seen. Um, but they just they they they, they look good. Um, uh, it's 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 interesting. Uh, they're they're obviously not they're they're a little outside the Doctor Universe, but it's fascinating that they've got the involvement of particularly Stephen Wyatt in in, in the creation process. So, it's mm-hmm. basically his his vision for the for the for for the sort of the extending the future of Paradise Tower, shall we say? So, yeah, sure. it is it is very interesting to see that the the comics have got that new direction to them. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's a, an interesting idea of. Of taking you know taking some of these uh, settings and characters that we've seen in classic Doctor Who and and spinning them off to do something different or you know further down the road to to see what the the, the uh, creators want to do with these uh, mm-hmm. settings and characters and it's you know it's, for classic Doctor Who fans I think it's something that you know it's an interesting. Uh, thing to look at and to to see where it goes definitely definitely
1: i i hope that they can continue i mean it's it's a it's a very niche market i would imagine you know it's really a, like you say it's aimed at classic fans who remember those stories and want to see more of the the, the same stuff mm-hmm. um and also too that they must be affected by the sort of the same sort of issues that are affecting other publishing businesses too i would imagine i mean particularly here speaking here in new zealand it's possibly the same in the states too that the 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 massive increase in postage rates has made it very very hard for to 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 bring in anything at a reasonable price so if i was to order those issues from the uk that's a phenomenal expense
0: yeah i i you know i a lot of the cutaway comic stuff they've been uh doing their projects via kickstarter to to back and it's yeah uh, somebody over here in the United states it it's uh, not very uh, cost effective to to back their Kickstarter as far right. as the physical copies of comics. but i I always back the the PDF version, so sure. yeah. If, yeah you know something like that it's a it's a small uh, outlaying of money to to uh, get some enjoyment out of uh, That's Doctor right. Who related comics.
1: That's right. But you and I are all traditionalists. We like to have copies on the shelves right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep, I, and, I, and I, I, I've uh, told, told the, the Cutaway Comics guys that, you know, I hope they do uh, collected editions of all these mini-series that they're doing because I'll definitely somehow get a hold of those to put on my shelf.
1: That that would be a must-have. If they can, <laughs> if they do it, like I said, a bound volume of them all together, then count me in for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I have to say, too, that's my preference, is that even with the Titan stuff, I don't buy the individual issues. I wait for the, the collected bound editions. So. Mm-hmm. You know that's that 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 that's that's the way I like to collect them as the as the the, the the graphic novel versions. So it's a
0: yeah yeah I'm am the same way. Uh, I I still buy the the Titan Comics as they come out. However, I uh, will still buy the collected editions as they come out, so I can put them on my shelf. So I have my nice you know sure. collection of everything that's been printed for Doctor Who comics.
1: Yeah yeah definitely. So yeah.
0: Well, Paul, um, uh, I I have one last question for you. Sure. Um, now that we're, you know, there's two episodes of, of Jody's Doctor left in, you know, the run of this year and uh, going into next year, we're probably not going to have a new Doctor Who until later on in 2023. Um, for for Titan Comics and for Doctor Who magazine, if you were the the editor-in-chief of either one of those or both of them, however you want to look at it, what do, what would you do as the person in charge of the comic strip? And from now until the, the run up to the anniversary, uh, would you um, do more Jody stories to tide us over until we get a new doctor and we get the RTD two era, or would you, what would you do?
1: I'd like to see Jody's doctor have a solid run through to the end. You know, it always feels wrong to me if you don't have the current doctor in the comic strip. And and I would say this too. Back in the '90s, when they they, they did that that run of past doctors, when technically uh-huh. McCoy, McCoy was still the current doctor, that seemed a bit off to me. So yeah, yeah I think I think I think give give Jody. There's still time to give Jodie a solid run of, of of comic strip stories between now and and next year. But you know, time's running out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. And and two. Uh, I mean, Marcus hinted in this in your podcast that they're talking about possibly doing doctor stories. And maybe that's a, a tiding over thing that, you know, but maybe there'll be a period between when Jodie leaves the series and when the new doctor starts, when we might not have a doctor. Yeah. Because as Jodie said, she's filmed her last, she shot her last story. And if their the media accounts are true, then no one's been cast yet. So it may be that we don't get a sight of the new Doctor at the end of Jodie's last story. Mm -hmm. And so there might be a period of some months where you don't have a a current Doctor. So it might be that, that Marcus is planning for that. I'm speculating. I have no inside information. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that, that maybe that's the time to do Doctorless stories. Do do stories set within the Doctor universe that don't feature the Doctor because Jodie's gone, but the new Doctor hasn't arrived.
0: Yeah. Who knows? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I guess we will be waiting and seeing uh, as each issue of Doctor Magazine comes out. Many thanks to Paul Schoon's friend of the show, Doctor Who comic expert, and avid writer. Uh, he is. It's good to hear that he's hard at work on the next uh, volume of his Comic Companion, which is some a book that's one of my go-to references for uh, the old Doctor Who comics, pre-Doctor Who magazine uh, it's always fun to chat with Paul. He is a wealth of information, and he uh, is somebody that I respect his opinion. I think he is uh, a great person to have on the show, and I wish he didn't live halfway around the world so that I would probably have uh, a better opportunity to chat with him on a regular basis. So thank you, Paul, for joining us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Panel to Panel, those of you out there who downloaded this episode. Just a fr- friendly reminder that if you want to find previous episodes of Panel to Panel that are not on the podcast feed where you got this episode, make sure you go to archive.org and do a search for Jeremy Bement or Doctor Who Panel to Panel, and you can find all the previous episodes that which contain lots of really good, interesting uh, interviews with Doctor Who comic creators past and present, and you can find those as downloadable MP3 files for whatever podcast device you listen to podcast on. So, with all that being said, time for me to get out of here. So, this is Jeremy B. Mint, saying until next time, bye. Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who Comics. Thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who Comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org Just search for Doctor Who panel to panel Thank you